BBCC episode 99, my realization of the day. Annie is the original Stalker fan, but Devin Sawa, of course, is credited with the term for the Eminem music video he did. However, Sawa wasn't done stating his claim for the title as he became the Stalk E in The Fanatic. Imagine a parallel reality where John Travolta and Kathy Bates traded roles. Huh. Weird. Well, let's go ahead and get on to the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, a podcast very high on horror films. I am one of your hosts, Devon Taylor, joined with me as always by Garrett McDowell. You know, uh, before we were uh, hitting record, I usually like to think of like a witty, funny thing to enter in the show with. And I was thinking of something Maroon 5 related because of the title of the movie. But with all of the controversy going <laughs> on today, I uh, don't know if it seems super appropriate. So I've got nothing. <laughs> hey, good good call there. Funny you thought of Maroon 5 because I went with uh, the obvious and I was my realization I was going to try and rewrite like the opening verse of Misery Business with the movie. But oh. But I ran yeah. out of time. I didn't. I didn't budget enough time to uh, get creative enough. So that's also what you guys it got would have been say. acapella too. You know, which I don't know if our listeners. I've I've never heard you sing before, so I don't know if you've got the chops to 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 back up some Paramore. Oh, I mean, hey, one, I am a karaoke uh, expert. Uh, I, I mean, I, okay, maybe not experts because uh, is anyone expert at karaoke, but big time enthusiast. And uh, you guys can be the judge. Uh, you can listen to Swoon on Spotify and Apple Music wherever you listen to music uh, by Daddy Disco. So I do have one song out. I set out that plug pretty easily, though. Just teed it up for you right there, and you knocked it out of the park. I appreciate you, Garrett. See, that's what friends are for, guys. And speaking (laughs) of friends, we do have a guest joining us as we uh, close out our Stephen King Adaptation Month. They are a contributor for Ghouls Magazine, Certified Forgotten, among many other websites. Welcome to the show, Ariel Powershob. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I am a karaoke expert. So yes. thank you for teeing that up for me. Yes. What's so, your what's your go to? What's your go to? Uh, often Total Eclipse of the Heart, but also sometimes Alone by Heart. I like a ballad. I like a okay. power ballad. Yeah, okay. it gets the gets the crowd energized, gets them gets them going. Devon, I yes. have no idea what like what you know genre of music you would swing into with karaoke. I have oh, no clue. I do all sorts of stuff, but uh, some go tos would be uh, Betty Davis Eyes by Ken Carnes, or um, uh, the Only One by Melissa Etheridge. Or I also uh, love some Toxic by Britney Spears. So you know, I, I have a I have a very wide range of stuff. What about you, Garrett? That's a good one. Um, I like Easy by the Commodores. That okay. like that's a nice that's a nice fun one. Um, I like some two thousands throwbacks. Uh, Jesse McCartney is always a crowd pleaser. Ooh, is is always a good one. Ooh, um, uh, I'm also uh, I'm also a white man, so I have to do Matchbox Twenty. Um, <laughs> yes, it is legally required. It's, it's required to do Matchbox yeah. Twenty or the Killers. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, I also would consider myself a, a karaoke expert. Well, Garrett, now that you let me in on 
on that Jesse McCartney secret. We are definitely going out karaoke. Let's go uh, here soon <laughs> because I because I need that. I'll come out to you guys. Yes, yes we'll let's go. go. <laughs> yes, I, I would love to make a night out of that. Um, but uh, we are here to uh, talk about uh, the final uh, installment in our King adaptation, and uh, this one debatably might be the best one, uh, depending on who you ask. Uh, we are talking misery. Uh, very excited to get into that. Um, but as we've been asking uh, the other guests as well, um, uh, do you read King novels or have you in the past? Yes, I definitely do. Stephen King has been a big part of my life for truly as long as I can remember. We had like my parents would always buy his new book whenever it came out. And so I was reading Stephen King really young and I have kept up with his work. I haven't read everything that he's written, um, but I am working on that and I am pretty close. So yes, I definitely am a Stephen King calls us his constant readers. And so I am a constant reader. Nice. Yeah, it seems to be a theme that all of the guests of our uh, Steph Timber here seem to be more qualified to be talking about Stephen <laughs> King than Devon and I do. So welcome. I'm glad we have some uh, some sense of authority here. <laughs> well, you chose good guests. That's what that means. Oh, that's yeah. Just, just yeah. We're, we're good producers. How about that? Exactly. <laughs> there we go. That's what I like to hear. And um, I mean, you picked uh, Misery for the movie today, but um, do you have a favorite King book or is this your favorite King book? It's a really hard choice for me. I think um, on most days, I would say It is my favorite book because it's the first one I read. And so it really stuck with me. Um, but it is a bit of a mess in, like as far as books go. I think The Shining is also really up there for me because that book, I think, is not a mess the way it can be. <laughs> and... Um, it's just a really excellent character study and a look at a family and especially I, I like the movie The Shining too, but I'm sure you've heard it's really different from the book. And so just getting to see those characters in a different way is always really fun for me. I'd probably give you a different answer any day you ask me, but those two are always going to be up there. All right. Well, I mean, that, that's been a pretty uh, high consensus about it for sure. Um, it sounds like it would be uh, where I should start as far as King books because I love me a hot mess movie. So a hot mess book <laughs> might be the might be the same experience. I'm not sure, but um, let's go ahead and dive into our movie for today's episode. <laughs> Misery, released November 30th, 1990, directed by Rob Reiner. Um, who has quite an eclectic filmography. However, this is really his only horror film, but this is his second King adaptation after Stand By Me. This was written by uh, William Goldman, um, adapting from Stephen King's Misery book, which I don't have the page count on hand if you want to grab that, Garrett. Um, and, um, of course, this uh, won Kathy Bass an Oscar for Best Performance. Um, the score was done by Mark Scheiman, who is known for doing the score for the Adams Family movies, frequent collaborator with Reiner. The uh, cinematography was done by Barry Sonnenfeld, who some people might know that name as he has directed many films as well, uh, including the Men in Black trilogy and the two Adams Family movies. So we got a nice little triangle going there, but he is also known for his uh, cinematography uh, early in his career. 
this uh, movie was produced um, on a budget of $20 million. Uh, where was that money at? I'm assuming uh, to James Conn and Kathy Bates. Um, but it did return $61.3 million at the box office. So pretty good success for a, um, you know, a, well, you know, this is definitely one of those debated if this is a horror film, quote unquote, but it definitely is. So um, had a very good um, uh, uh, return for that. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has this 90% on 73 reviews and the voice of the people over on Letterboxd have this at an average rating of 3.9 out of 5. And Garrett, what was the page count on the book for this one? Out of curiosity. I, I wish I was joking, but I'm not. According to Google, uh, the print uh, hardcover publication, 1987, the original publication was 420 pages. So Nice. <laughs> nice. Hell yeah. That's that's see, we plan we plan things, guys. You, you see yes. how you see all the little details we plan? We got you. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Uh, but that sounds about right uh, for an hour forty-five ish minute movie, mm-hmm. uh, which is definitely my sweet spot for length. Uh, Ariel, what made you want to talk about misery today? Yeah. Well, so I think it's one of the King stories that's really, really well done, both the book and the movie. And I don't hear it talked about as much. Like. When I hear people talk about Stephen King, it's usually, honestly, the ones I mentioned, it and The Shining, um, and maybe the his, some of his other um, adaptations like Salem's Lot. But Misery, I feel like, sometimes goes by the wayside because it doesn't have the supernatural elements that a lot of his other books do, and it definitely is a horrifying tale, but... I wonder if people like sort of forget it's Stephen King because it is just, it's like a very um, bottle episode sort of tight, tiny story, Mm -hmm. two people in a room, one sort of torturing the other, the other trying to figure out how to escape. That's not very Stephen Mm Kingy. So I like a chance to highlight some of his work that doesn't get talked about as much. Oh, okay. I like that uh, take on it. We'll definitely dig into a little bit more on that because yeah this doesn't feel as kingy as the rest of his stories but we still got uh, a few of his recurring motifs in there uh garrett uh how when was the last time you watched misery um i think i actually watched this in the past year or so um i am a big fan of a crazy person kidnaps another person and they try to get out like that's like a really interesting subgenre a very thrilling one i i often find um, but this is is one of my favorite, like just thrillers of all time. It's one of my favorite '90s horror films. Uh, this was a pleasure to rewatch. Uh, uh, some of the movies that we've uh, talked about in recent months, I haven't enjoyed returning to, or it's been kind of a slug to get through. But this was like, oh great, I love this movie. Like, let's just put this on and and you know, uh, just completely gush about this. I'm very excited to talk about this because this is one that when I first watched it, I was just really affected by it. It was like I was you know seeing it like it was a new release seeing it in theaters i remember watching it when i was um uh, like a young teenager and just being completely enthralled with this movie and having no idea what was going to happen next because i think my dad showed it to me and he was just like hey let's watch this movie didn't tell me anything about it so it was all just completely fresh and completely new to me um obviously that infamous scene the hammer scene which we'll definitely be talking about i was just that completely got me off guard um and each time i watch it it doesn't get any easier uh but yeah this is this is like a uh you know seeing an old friend i i really love this movie well i'm not sure annie wilkes is the old friend that you'd really want to see <laughs> um but this was uh only the second time of me watching this this is 
one of those this is one of those movies that like I remember I saw it super duper young like I'm not sure how old but it was super duper young uh on TNT I believe cuz uh this was a TNT mainstay for a mainstay for a hot minute um a lot of a lot of king adaptations uh go through TNT but anyways um I remember uh watching this super young and I probably was bored by it I don't remember too much from that original watch but I do remember seeing the hobbling scene and it was just one of those scenes I was not ready for it was just it it and it scarred me like it literally scarred me to the point where I was so I did I was too scared to rewatch that scene that I just never went back to this movie um and then I just as a, as an adult I just kind of forgot about it but you know as much as I love Kathy Bates and I think you know she is a, a scream queen in her own right you know with her uh contributions to American horror story now um, you know, I, I've always, um, uh, you know, seen, seen clips of her performance and can always appreciate it, but I just, uh, never returned, uh, to this movie because I could not watch the hobbling. Um, so it was nice to actually watch it in its, uh, in its entirety and really soak it in. And, uh, as similar to Garrett, I'm a fan of, uh, you know, isolated, uh, survival stories, but I kind of tend to lean towards like, uh, the death game, death games kind of style survival. Um, but it was a nice to kind of watch a, a smaller, you know, one-on-one, you know, um, you know, game of wits, you know, you got, uh, you know, it's like they're playing mental chess with each other and, um, and that's always fun to see. And, um, you know, the, the story itself, uh, might not do it for me as much or be as, um, uh, as rewarding of an experience as a film for me, but, you know, as far as two, uh, you know, juggernaut performances going head to head against each other, you know, RIP James Caan. And uh, Kathy Bates, you know, obviously she won the award for it. You know, watching those two go at it um, is so fun. Like that in itself, you know, definitely um, is worth the the watch and uh, the investment of time. But uh, is it something that I, you know, can rewatch a ton? Eh, not really, but uh, I'm glad that I did get to rewatch it. So um, let's go ahead and head into our 60 second synopsis before we uh, dig a little deeper. Are you ready, Ariel? I am. I'm nervous for uh, some reason. Don't be. <laughs> don't like be. A race. <laughs> this is no. This is your minute, and you do what you want with it. You know, you don't I'll, even have to use I'll the try. whole thing if you want. You can <laughs> condense it. it. This is all. This is your minute. All right. I'll just. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. Got you in three, two, one, go. Paul Sheldon is a successful novelist who just finished a book that should launch a new chapter in his career. During a snowstorm in rural Colorado, he crashes into a ditch and nearly dies. He is saved by ex-nurse Annie Wilkes, his self-proclaimed number one fan. But Annie has no plans to let Paul go, and she demands he write a book just for her before she plans to kill them both. Paul eventually kills Annie and escapes, but he can never mentally escape the prison she created. And that is misery. Look at that. You got it in 30 seconds. Not a race at all. You had a nice pace going. And, um, you know, and then again, there's not too much plot to really uh, kind of break down because that 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 is the movie. Like, that's exactly what's going on. Um, you know, so as far as some of our subgenres uh, at play here, um, the one that I would attribute as a recurring king motif is uh, the sense of obsession. Um, you know, we do see that with various uh, central characters in his stories. Um, and I do like that it does lend itself well, um, you know, to, you know, tying into also his typical motif of writing uh, protagonists being writers. 
you know, and um, I didn't do any research if uh, King had any, like, you know, if he was frightened by any stalkers himself or anything, maybe, uh, when writing this, uh, but, but I, you know, the, the obsession motif is definitely strong, and then uh, we have some elements of body horror in there, um, and then, of course, uh, a lot of psychological horror at hand. Uh, Aria, what kind of stands out to you subgenre-wise? Yeah, definitely the ones you mentioned. There's also like a procedural thriller mm. element to it. Um, the cops in this movie are kind of funny. They give me a Twin Peaks vibe <laughs> big time, which is like how they kind of, you know, his filing system is a post-it note or whatever. But still, they take you through the motions of like trying to solve the crime. And they are trying to figure it out. So there's a little bit of that in there. Um, and also, this is maybe a stretch, but there could be kind of a folk horror vibe to this because we are talking about mm. like people versus the wilderness you know even if paul does make it out of annie's house where's he gonna go what's he gonna do he's in the middle of he doesn't even know where that could become a folk horror interesting i like that take that is very fascinating uh what do you think garrett um yeah definitely the nature uh the snowy uh, the snowy landscape and everything is something that uh, I I think you can find in a lot of Stephen King's works. Um, obviously, this one, but uh, The Shining uh, is a pretty is a pretty um, is a pretty famous one as well. But this idea that you have these people kind of trapped in this situation for for better or worse, and even if you do get out of this, like you know, where is he going? You like he can't really he can't wheelchair his way into town in the snow. He'd probably freeze to death. Um, you've definitely also got like a small town vibe. Uh, we, we, that's something that we've talked mm -hmm. about a lot in Stephen King's works is this, mm -hmm. he doesn't really deal in a lot of metropolis kind of areas. Uh, uh, this is definitely, you've got your local sheriff who his deputy is his wife. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the, <laughs> the, the, the sheriff in this because uh, that's definitely that's like one of the b plots in this movie which i find uh, really interesting but yeah the secluded psychological thriller this cat and mouse game um all set in this this pretty hazardous uh location and yeah also it's about a writer which is like the most stephen king thing <laughs> that you could Very really much. do <laughs> yeah and and in the i'll say the difference though here with um you know uh, Paul Sheldon, the the main protagonist here, is you know a lot of uh, King's writer characters uh, kind of tend to be assholes in a way. Um, you know, I think uh, King is uh, takes those moments to be kind of critical of himself. Um, you know, and you kind of do see the sense of view of it. And um, there's something different about Paul Sheldon where you know he's not like he's not you know this uh, this asshole guy. Um, he's, you know, uh, if anything, you know, they kind of set him up to be maybe a little ungrateful for his success. Um, and he has to kind of reinterrogate, you know, what that means to him. And that's, you know, kind of his arc for his character, um, you know, going through this situation. But at the same time, um, he's, you know, extremely sympathetic. And the fact that it's just like, uh, you know, I don't really know too much else about him. And from what I do, you know, he doesn't deserve this, you know. So it's like that immediately makes you empathize with him more. Uh, in his struggle and you know I feel like everybody talks about Annie you know uh, when they talk about this film but um you know James Caan as Paul Sheldon you know is really the anchor of this film though yeah I think the the Paul Sheldon character is one that has only gotten better with time um, I think that one of the most refreshing things about revisiting this movie is how well it holds up in today's just kind of pop culture landscape 
mm-hmm. this is a movie of that is about fan entitlement through and through uh yes. and me being the resident star wars fan around these parts <laughs> is this is something that i see every day <laughs> online uh but it's also in a lot of other stuff too like you know go on tiktok and look at you know the mcu side of things and you see fans who are pounding their fist and angry about exactly what they wanted to see with these characters isn't what they got and that frustration and that anger and again that that sense of entitlement that that comes from that this idea that these characters are mine i have ownership over them and i have ownership of what uh, ownership of what happens to them that's exactly what we're seeing with annie in this film is that when Paul, when she finds out what happens to her, you know, to misery, she that's when she officially kind of goes, you know, completely off of the rails, keeps him there, makes him start over just to give her what she wants. And one of my favorite details in this that I never even really picked on before. There's a scene where she's where she's talking to Paul and she's just gushing about what she had just read. And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, and then that part when this happened and like talking about all these favorite plot lines. And they sound like the most cl- cliche, like trash, you know, <laughs> twists and everything. They sound like nonsense. And to me, that's oftentimes that I find with a lot of fans who said, well, this thing should have happened or I really wish mm-hmm. this character would have done this thing. It's often not the most uh, I, I think interesting ideas it's there. I feel they're kind of thin or basic or just kind of this fan service kind of conversation. So the fact that this movie, um, even all of these years later is, I would argue a little bit more relevant than it was when it came out. Um, I think is, is what really was, uh, kind of the most, uh, not necessarily surprising because I had seen the movie, but just something that I was uh, a little pleasantly surprising. Yeah, I'm coming back and seeing this has been like, oh, wow, this is like more than just this thriller. This is a story about fandom and how that kind of entitlement can come from that. Yes. And now we have a direct line to creators to tell them how we feel, right? Mm-hmm. When Stephen King wrote this, it would have had to been someone sends him a letter mm-hmm. or like maybe somebody you know god forbid shows up at his house Mm -hmm. but it's not like he could get thousands of tweets a day saying how dare you killed misery Mm -hmm. and now we can without even thinking without even trying tell creators exactly how we feel moments after we see it or experience it and so it's a really different landscape than when King wrote this story, but it is more relevant than ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like the closest example I can think of is um, I, for- I forget when it was, maybe late 80s, early 90s, whenever um, the, uh, the DC Comics did the thing where you could vote if you wanted to kill Jason Todd or not. And yeah. uh, it was like kind of the first time it like gave the fans like a say in, you know, the the canon and what was going on. And and it ended up you know, being a big deal and, you know, kind of shaking up the comics world. So that's like about the earliest I could think of besides like you guys said now, now that they just have this direct online, you know, connection to these creators as well. So, yeah. yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because that very comic event was happened because the fans hated that character so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were just like, I don't know. Do you want to kill him? And they're like, yes. And then that's which, what happened, you know. Which hilarious, you know, um, you know, we appreciate uh killing kids around here. Um, except <laughs> Gosh. except I will say, I will say this is the movie where it does finally go too far. Uh, because babies are another story, and I totally forgot the reveal, you know, when uh he goes through Annie's scrapbook and we mm-hmm. see how evil she truly is. Um yeah. I, at that part, I totally forgot about that, and I was just like 
wait, what? Because, and, and also the way that the headlines read as he's reading them, it was just like, there was like one, it's like, up oh, another baby found dead in, I was like, oh my God. So it was like still slightly darkly com- comedic, but also terrifying. Uh, so Annie Wilkes, you go too far, damn it. <laughs> you got to reach an age cutoff to where you could start killing kids, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> it's like a roller coaster. You got to be above this height. <laughs> yes. Then then it's all good. Then we don't care anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's let's get into, you know, uh, the villainess uh, Annie Wilkes. Man, I mean, she is terrifying just in every sense. You know, we kind of see that she's, you know, physically formidable by the way she just hauls him on her shoulder through a snowstorm. So it's like we see that already. And then, you know, her immediately establishing the the power dynamics. Uh, Kathy Bates is she I mean, she awards everything deserved. I mean, she is, you know, top five, you know, horror villain for me, possibly. It, it, female horror villain because there are yeah horror villain yeah i think uh her performance is obviously the most critically acclaimed uh part of this movie and something that i love about kathy bates is it's not all menace she has this real warmth to her uh yes and this oddness to mm-hmm. her as well which i think is a strange thing to to you know see about her character it's this very it's it's even hard to kind of put a word to it. It's like this church lady kind of uh, sarcastic, you know. Uh, it's just, it's an interesting like thing that she's doing really here with this role. Um, there's a scene where uh, he when he's asking for the the right paper uh, for the <laughs> for the uh, typewriter, and she just kind of switches from being like, "Oh, anything you need, I'd love to help and be a part of this." She's like, "Hmm, anything else? You want the entire store?" And she's really yes. just able to turn on a dime and go from this warm i'm going to nurse your wounds and give you my you know famous meatloaf too i'm going to break your legs and shoot you with a shotgun i don't know if colorado is considered part of the midwest i don't think it is but it's a very midwestern passive aggression that i feel deeply (laughs) in my soul and if you know how to watch for it as a midwesterner you can see the moment Mm -hmm. her eyes change and you go oh no (laughs) like she's about to kill me but uh i mean the way her performance there is subtle enough that to make it terrifying. Oh no, I totally see the Midwest uh, passive aggression because that's like the same as like you know uh, if we're on the way to the party, we'll always throw it out there. Hey, do you need us to pick up some ice? And then you'll say, sure, pick up some ice. That's great. Yep. But then it's too far if they're like, hey, can you get some ice? And can you also get this and also get this? And be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't ask for the shopping list. I offered ice. I offered say ice. Say yes or no to the ice and let's all move on. If you wanted me to throw the party, you shouldn't have thrown the party. Exactly. <laughs> and that is like the escalation um, that Annie does take in those scenes, which I, yeah, I absolutely love that. And, you know, and we've seen villain performances where, they do the the mood switch it the quick mood switches you know and like you know it's uh, ooh terrifying but there's something the way that she does it that she'll you know she'll start off nice we see the explosion and then she goes back to nice and mm-hmm. she still acknowledges like what she just did and the way she's able to like convince herself that like that explosion was like okay or that it was his yeah. fault you know the way that she it then goes back into it and like convinces herself that's like what's truly scary about her. Yeah, and it's funny that as the movie goes along, her reaction to things aren't really, you think that they would get 
bigger, uh, especially in regards to like her reaction to her own actions. To when she spills the soup, she's just like, "Oh, look what you made me do!" And when she kills a guy, she's more calm about it. You know, like it's it's just funny how her her actions don't necessarily correlate to how angry or whatever she's going to be. She has this also kind of uh, calmness to her, where she's breaking his legs, which is also like just really unsettling and creepy. And it's it's this real like I'm doing what's best for you. And after she breaks him, she says. I love you. You know, it's just it's yeah, yeah. Kathy Bates just sells every single piece of this uh, of this performance. And it's no wonder that she uh, earned herself an Oscar for it. Yeah. And, and speaking of those legs, uh, you know, the body horror in this is a little underrated for me because those legs are disgusting. The the <laughs> colors and the, the like shape of his legs just it looks so incredibly painful. And you like see how swollen his feet are. And it mm-hmm. just like really puts into like context, like, you know, how fucked he is and like how much time he's going to have on his hands. And like, just like, un- you know, all the subtleties, you know, like, cause that's where Khan really gets to shine and like, you know, where she drops, you know, the giant book on his legs or something or when he falls out of the bed and you see him like, you know, spitting and drooling cause he's in so much pain. Like, that's where like Khan really gets to shine for me. So like the, the body horror in this is a uh, pretty underrated for me. Yes. Yeah. I um it, you know, she is a she's an ex-nurse. Annie's an ex-nurse. And we find out later she's an ex-nurse because they found out she was killing people, babies, and other people. Um and so she certainly has first aid skills and the skills to save him from the crash. But she does not have the tools she needs. I mean, most people wouldn't in their home to properly like break and reset his legs and truly heal him. And so it lets you know that like the fact that she doesn't call for help or take him anywhere or try anything else, she never was going to like, this is Mm -hmm. her caged bird. She sees it as a gift to her. Like, of course her favorite writer would fall into her lap. She deserves that. Why wouldn't he, why would she ever let him go? So she does enough to get him well enough to be her pet but not anything more than that because she was never planning to let him go yeah and 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 what makes me think about it, though is i think back to one of the very early scenes where she like admits like yeah i kind of watch you i sit outside the the lodge that you you know stay mm-hmm. at just to see if i might see you so it's like you know how much of this did she you know plan in advance you know because you see how detail oriented she is about this like you know what if she she does have the things at her disposal to heal him she just chooses not to you know to keep him yeah, you know like be. you said like or like you know did she did she just you know was she admitting like yeah I kind of sit outside and then like yeah I did happen to save you and did did she take this chance or did she you know like was she like kind of hoping this would happen or something I don't know like I I was I, I found myself trying to think um like you know how much was it you know her just like kind of rolling with the punches or how much was it that she like truly planned in this um is is pretty uh, scary for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also love the kind of awkwardness uh, that uh, James Conn's character is 
put into in this situation because she he we it's established that he doesn't really care for these books he thinks that they're bad uh he's kind of just making them uh to fulfill a quota and, and you know they they kind of pay the bills they say that that's the reason that his daughter has braces and that she's going to college is you know it's kind of this it's been his bread and butter for so long that he's just which is why at the end of the movie he kind of wants to you know pursue other things things that he cares about more even presented with the opportunity to tell a non-fiction story about what actually happened to him he's like no i think it's about time i start writing things that i want to write uh but it really presents this funny kind of, it's and i think that this movie also has a level of humor to it that's not often appreciated it's kind of awkwardness uh, oh, yeah. to even where annie compares this book to the sistine chapel yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. which and he's like great man like glad you love it like, <laughs> it, like it is this kind of awkward situation seeing him try to just be appreciative of this kind of uh crap that he's writing uh i think it makes her character a little deeper too that she's kind of just uh interested in maybe things that aren't you know super challenging or uh super thoughtful and would rather just kind of get the stories that that she wants which is exactly what we see her character go through is that if it's not what she wants with these books or with these characters then she's obviously gonna kind of flip her lid oh yeah i mean definitely a lot of dark comedy in here with the, the awkwardness for sure and then uh, you know and but the also what you know the whole thing about it that i find pretty scary is you know the the long game that that paul is committed to in this um they show you know as the time is going by you know and you know he has to you know you know manipulate her kind of give her what she wants to hear and then once he uh starts writing he has to also you know play it on two levels he has to you know you know put on this performance with her in person but then also this performance within the book and this motherfucker writes a whole book, uh, you know, to levy his time for his body he, to heal and for him he to plan. Also writes like like a book and a half. <laughs> so like he gets like pretty far into the other book and she has him start completely over, which I would that would be the most uh, frustrating thing to me. The legs, whatever, having to write one and a half books. Oh my god! <laughs> and setting him on fire and his original book on fire too. Like, oh man, the the pain in his eyes when he has to do that is just awful um but yeah the, he's he's in it for the long game and i can appreciate that uh in a you know these uh survival type films you know like you know what are you know what are you truly made of like you know because you know you're you, a lot of the time you are gonna kind of try and take every little opportunity you can and like you know he really does he tries out you know plant multiple plans that take you know amounts of time you know when he yeah. you know saves up all the pills for the poisoning only for her to knock the glass over you know all the all those little things and it's just like and those little moments too of defeat where uh they give you a little hope that like okay he's gonna get a little uh he's gonna get a leg up uh haha um <laughs> on her for this one but then you know then they take that hope away from you and just snatch it away it's like ah it, it's heartbreaking yeah there this movie has this really wonderful quality to where yeah you it does present uh, you know maybe answers or solutions to these problems and he tries them and they're good ideas but they come short for whatever reason I think one of the best examples of that is with the character of Buster who is the the local town sheriff it's an entire B plot that we're following this sheriff <laughs> seeing what the, you know his investigation is also I might add a terrible sheriff just the worst detective is his idea to follow this case is just to read this guy's books to see if there's any clues from that, which is like the most 
crockpot asinine theory I've ever <laughs> I've ever seen in a movie. Just a zero out of ten sheriff in this movie. But even that, like he goes to this person's uh, to, to to goes to Annie's house to to try to save Paul, and he gets his chest blown through <laughs> with a shotgun. Like mm-hmm. meaning like everything that we've just spent with this character trying to see them, and they eventually get the clue of the her repeating the quote from the book. He leads her to leads him to the house, all for him to die, which is essentially kind of amounts to nothing it's this really wonderful kind of you know propping up this house of cards and just before you put on the last card it just knocks it over like it's 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 kind of a fun game that the movie plays i mean i find it kind of funny because it's like you know obviously we have the the small town element of it like he probably hasn't had to solve any cases like this you know of like trying to track down a missing person because nobody goes missing in their town you know Mm -hmm. and in even the fact that you know he discovers annie's past in public records but yet she's been living in that community for how long with her regular name and like and he's never been able to put that together is also mm-hmm. like you know hilarious yeah he's uh yeah maybe one of the worst sheriffs we've discussed on the podcast <laughs> so far but you know him and his wife they're cute though yes and they also provide a lot of the humor in the movie too yes and they make it so we're not just sitting in the room with Paul the entire time. Like, we have to get out of that room sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the ways we get out of that room. I do wonder, with Paul's plan to poison Annie, what was he going to do after she was poisoned? Yeah, because he, like, he hadn't had the knife yet. So, yeah, what was he going to do? And and I'm not criticizing him because it's a survival situation. I'm willing to buy a lot of different, like, try anything, do whatever you got to do to neutralize the threat and then move past it. But I'm like, were you going to crawl out in the snow? Like, you're not Mm -hmm. driving anywhere. She doesn't seem to have a phone. Maybe she does have a phone. Maybe he wasn't sure. But I was just kind of like, buddy, you're kind of lucky she's not poisoned because then maybe you would have died too. True. Yeah. And again, like, it's like, that's almost like scary. That's like a potential second movie in itself, him trying to survive yeah. the wilderness after he does escape, you know? So it's like, yeah, there, there's, um, you know, he, you know, I can't fault him too much because at least he's trying. He's um, trying you know, stuff. Like he is, and he's, especially for the situations. And I mean, he is trying his damnedest uh, throughout the oh, movie. Yeah. And I like that uh, the movie does a great job of like, uh, you know, kind of showing, um, you know, that like, okay, they have accounted for this and they, you know, do this and like, you know, showing like, you know, how careful he's being or like the things that he's like trying to do. Um, Barbarian kind of uh, did a similar thing recently of like, you know, showing like, you know, making sure you know, like, hey, the protagonist is, you know, covering their base. They're doing the things that you're thinking of. But then, you know, it just sucks that Annie is, you know, uh, she's not supernatural, but if she does have any supernatural ability, it's her anticipation. Uh, yeah. You know, like, how does she, you know, know all these things? Like, did she knock the glass over on purpose? Like, I, you know, who, you know, you who wonder. knows? Well, I think it is kind of addressed in the movie. We don't really get an exact explanation of like what the misery books are, like what genre they are. The covers would lead me to believe that they're like semi-romantic, but it's, it is kind of unclear. But it, when Paul is unlocking the door, he's using a bobby pin and he says something. He's like, I've only written about this. And he like is jingling and he unlocks the door and he's like, oh, hell, like it actually worked, you know? So I'm wondering if he is kind of going through 
of, you know, what did my character do in this book? You know, like if, if you're, you know, like you even brought up Barbarian, I feel like in order to tell these kind of stories, you have to put yourself in the shoes of whoever is in this situation. That's kind of the fun of that. And so maybe, uh, you know, Annie is able to do the same thing because she's so familiar with these books, maybe even more so than he is. Well, she kind of does because that's like how the sheriff finds out uh, the, the, the series from what I gather is some sort of like high drama crime uh, because the the sheriff he's reading about a uh, when misery was on trial for like right. uh, for a murder or something and um, so like it's one of those kind of things I, th- I guess misery is some sort of very complicated character and like you know the family tree comes into question but um, you know she quotes his book whenever she's getting arrested out of the courtroom and then that's you know where we have a, a again a hilarious scene of you know earlier he just wrote down this random quote in a book out of the eight books the one random quote that he decided to write down of course is uh the one and he literally holds his note card up to the newspaper and they match up yeah, yeah. Those, uh, yep you cracked it you, you got it well it's funny his because... version of microfiche <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny because the quote that he writes down is not like it's not like oh i've got a hunch about this he nope. just i think he just thinks it's inspirational <laughs> yeah i think he just liked it yeah i think he just liked the quote uh, <laughs> that's what i'm saying he's a lucky. zero out of ten sheriff a terrible yeah. sheriff well, well better the, to be lucky than good i guess well yes. the wife the wife does say like what is it and he goes i don't know nothing or i'm hoping nothing or something like that <laughs> i think is what he says so yeah uh, it, an extreme hunch uh, get some buy on on this one, but um, you know I I do like uh the sheriff and uh you know, King's stories do always have such uh you know colorful supporting characters in one way or another, and um you know and they give us just enough uh like you guys said to like kind of get outside the house because the isolation of this uh does feel very heavy like you know whenever um you really don't go outside of his room for the first like hour of the movie. Uh, which is kind of fascinating. Like, I mean, they'll show like other things going on, but as far as her house, we don't see beyond the room for like a good portion of the movie, which uh, I thought was a nice little touch. Mm -hmm. And that also like when he's in this room, he doesn't really have anything else to do other than just sit there and write, which I think, uh, you know, having uh, all of us just spent a lot of time indoors Mm -hmm. in recent years, it's just like, He's in there for months, presumably, you know, Uh, like it takes a while to heal not one, but, uh, you know, two broken legs twice. (laughs) Uh, His legs aren't completely healed the second time. Um, He's it's enough to give him like a little bit of a chance when he's fighting. Um, He's still crawling around. There is that bit where he like trips her with his legs, which I was just like, oh, got to be so painful. But yeah, so it's just like he's just sitting there. She's off in the other room watching, you know, uh, daytime TV and game shows, eating snacks and drinking Coke, which I also thought was very relatable. Uh, But yeah, he's just kind of sitting there just writing, just like withering away. And it just makes it that more of like, God, like what a horrible, (laughs) horrible situation. Yeah, the the timeline isn't. Uh, specifically expressed, but assuming, you know, Colorado with long winters, um, I would say at least, you know, four, four to five months, uh, if not longer. Yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, pretty wild because we see, we see multiple snows and then we see um, it kind of, you know, transition from snow a little bit. So um, it is uh, quite a long time. And like, I mean, it is miserable. And like, yeah, imagine uh, the, the first quarantine guys with no radio, no TV, 
no no phone no literally no nothing i mean people people have had all those things during quarantine and they were losing their minds so imagine yeah. him <laughs> and not being able to leave the bed oof yeah no good that's a good point yeah it, it was cracking me up how people were like i'm just so bored i'm like for real, it's y'all. It's like prison. For I was like, real, oh, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, get get your get your leg hobbled and then talk to me. So, uh, <laughs> right. uh, let's go ahead and get talk about, of course, like yeah, what some of the more memorable scenes in this. And uh, yeah, again, the hobbling. Like I, I was coming in, and it's like I knew it was coming. And she, and she literally explains it to him before it happens. And yet, it just, oh, it is, it's awful. Is awful. <laughs> yeah, that's well, the that... beauty of. Sorry, go ahead, Garrett. No, I think you were going to say the same thing. Well, I, the beauty of that scene is uh, she tells you exactly what's going to happen, and it's just as terrifying, if not more terrifying, because now you have that anticipation. Like sometimes in horror films, I'm like, oh, I wish they wouldn't have showed so much or told so much and leave some ambiguity, and that can be good. But the way it's just like written and shot and edited and scored, it's just like, let me tell you what's about to be scary. Okay, now I'll show you. And it was just as scary. It's really masterful. Yeah, especially the way that it's it's all set up is that he he goes to bed with this knife at his side, wakes up, she's standing over him, immediately, you know, puts him under. He wakes up like it's sunny outside, everything is great, you know, just had this probably a really nice sleep, probably maybe the best sleep he's had since he's gotten there. Uh, and he wakes up and she's like, hi, good morning. And then just cracks his legs. It easily could have been like he, you know, takes off the covers and reveals that his legs are completely shattered because he was yeah. drugged. You know, that could have been what happens. But yeah, it's really the setting there, putting the block in between his legs. And also the, as I mentioned before, like the calmness that she has about everything. She yes. plays it with such this kind of like nonchalant attitude. And he's just sitting there like begging and pleading. And it's, it's a very simple effect, you know, like there's not a lot of blood the the shots also like you know it's 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 a quick shot it's not super gratuitous or anything but when you have like good direction good editing uh good makeup effects good sound design uh it just becomes super effective and you only see one of the legs Mm -hmm. get you know whacked he's used the other one you see his his reaction so yeah it's like it's great setup great payoff it's just you know there's a reason it's one of the more memorable scenes uh in in the entire movie it's it's you know been on re-released posters and blu-ray covers and everything because it's just so yuck <laughs> that thing his 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 foot goes perpendicular yeah it's like um, a hockey yes. stick it's it's <laughs> like a hockey stick Ooh. uh it is it is awful um that scene um i also wanted to shout out the scene um the the first scene where he's uh you know going around the house and um he's like you know uh trying to you know he this is where we discover the phone um you know is fake even so it's like she has a fake phone and he's like you know so we get a little defeated there and he's you know, doing all the things, and, you know, we have the tension of him, like, knocking over the penguin, and he catches it, luckily, like, it doesn't break, so he's not gonna get caught, uh, and then, you know, and, uh, this is where Mark Scheiman's score really shines, like, uh, I think the, the best track on, um, from the score, um, it's just very fun, uh, the tension is great, and just, like, you know, the slow pace that he has to move around the house, um, is fantastic, and then we even get a further payoff later where she's like, yeah, I knew that you got out because uh, the penguin usually points due south, and it's like, god damn you. Uh, like, what the hell? You know, so it's like yeah. a great scene there. 
Yeah, it's, it is a really clever way to make sure the audience remembers the penguin, you know, because if mm-hmm. you just bumped it and it wiggled or something like that, it wouldn't be effective. The reason that he catches it, it is kind of like that. OK, good. And then, oh, no, like that, that very thing that we thought was, mm-hmm. was you know, going, going to be OK, ended up kind of being his his downfall. So, yeah, it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying. It just kind of sets you up to expect one thing and then completely um, subverts it in another way, which is what I think makes this movie so exciting. A movie Mm -hmm. about a guy who's bedridden the entire time and who kind of gets out a few times, you know? And I say, and I buy it with the penguin thing because number one, we know Annie is particular enough Mm -hmm. to have the penguin be a certain way, but also, um, I did. I only have lived alone in like for a few years at a time in my lifetime. But in that period when I lived alone, I knew exactly how my stuff was. And I would be really freaked out if my stuff was different. Like one time I had a friend dog sit my dog and I forgot that I had him like do that. And then like days later when I was taking out the recycling, there was a beer can in my recycling of a brand that I didn't drink. Mm. And I went on this like red string board, like <laughs> research montage, trying to figure out like, why did someone come in my house and throw a beer can away? And I, it, finally my friend, I, I was telling him about this. He was like, I had a beer while I watched your dog. <laughs> And I felt ridiculous, right? And it's hilarious now. But like, if you know your penguin always mm-hmm. faces south, and then your penguins are not facing south, like I, I buy that. Hey, yeah. I, I'm 100 there with you. Um, I'm all about my patterns and routines, and I 100 yes. would have noticed the exact same thing. Like, you know, I come into the bar and I berate people because the syrups are in the wrong spot. Like, I, I know the, I notice everything, guys. See it yeah. all. Uh, we also forgot to mention uh, that uh, Anne, uh, Annie has a pet pig. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, how could we forget that? She has a pet pig that's name uh, is Misery, which uh, I, I know that there's uh, some controversy online about like whether you should own pigs, you know, get the little like the baby piglets. They grow up to be big pigs. I don't know. I personally I wouldn't own a pig. That's kind of a ridiculous thing to own, but uh, she's got one. Its name is Misery. Uh, I don't know. What are our thoughts on Misery the pig? <laughs> Apparently, they're like cats from what I hear. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, whether they you should have a pig in the house. Uh, yes, a, a whole other debate. Um, but um, I thought I thought Misery was adorable. Um, and then I also like, I kind of like the setup cause I was like, wait, is something going to happen? Is like, she going to torture him with the pig? Like I was like starting to think <laughs> of the worst things and then that doesn't happen, but there is mention of the pig in, um, in the newspaper clippings. And I don't know if it was just her stealing the pig from one of her victims or did she use the pig in some way? Um, I'm not sure. Um, you know, so I, I always kind of wondered if there was more, t- more behind misery, the pig, uh, than meets the eye. <laughs> I, I do want to take a brief pause because I was looking at misery, the pig, because I kind of want to know what happens, what happens to the pig. And I came across the IMDb page. Misery, the pig has her own IMDb page, which reads as follows. Uh, it says misery, the pig rates highly as one of the best, most charming, <laughs> natural, uh, would be poor sign. Is that the word? Uh, yes. por- porcine like thes- bovine for cows aha yeah. uh and natural porcine thespians to ever grace the screen Stop. big round and brown but still <laughs> quite pretty and appealing just the same she gave an absolutely convincing and masterful performance as herself in the outstanding 1990 stephen king adaptation misery 
Alas, this picture proved to be Misery's sole foray into feature film acting. Uh, that uh, IMDb mini biography <laughs> is by Woody Anders. Uh, no notes on that. That was excellent. <laughs> Man, uh, that that was gorgeous. That was that was gorgeous. I wonder if uh, the pig that portrays Brandy and Pig has such a uh, IMDb <laughs> entry. Uh, she only wishes uh, she could be Misery the pig. I love that. <laughs> You know, the thing I think about Misery the Pig, in addition to her being adorable and a wonderful actress, is that um, I think Annie shows Misery the Pig to Paul as a way of, like, taunting him with, like, the pig is freer than he is. And, Mm. you know, the pig gets to run around the house. Also, it seems like Annie lives on a farm, so the pig gets to go outside. The pig is well-fed and cared for. It's not asked to do any writing or anything else. I don't know. Maybe she eventually slaughters her for bacon. But, like, the pig is quite free compared to Paul. Mm -hmm. And so I always thought it was her rubbing that in his face. Ooh, I like that. Uh, Because that that definitely seems in line with some mental games that she would be playing with him. Because, like... Because uh, she, you know, even mentions it, you know, right out the gate, like pretty early into the movie where it's, you know, she reveals herself that like, yeah, by the way, um, you know, nobody's going to look for you. They can't find you. You you are in terrible shape and like, you know, and establishes the power like pretty instantly. Um, yep. So, yeah, I, I, I totally buy that. I kind of have, forgive me, I went down this pig rabbit hole. Now I'm looking at the IMDb <laughs> cast list of pig. Uh, and yeah, as you said, Devon Brandy uh, is, is the, portrays the, the pig and the, the titular pig and pig um, does not have an IMDb bio. However, there was a second pig in pig named Cora with a C who is titled as the pig understudy, which is, you know, I love the idea that this pig like booked a big Hollywood role and they're like, sorry, you're the understudy. <laughs> and Brandy's got this lavish trailer where she's like getting pampered and everything. And Oh man, that's great. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, I wonder what uh, Jordan Peele would think about, uh, you know, uh, the pigs of Hollywood, you know, um, but, you know, who knows, but I, I love these little nuggets. Um, but yeah, you know, um, I'm not sure if there's, uh, much else uh, we have to dig into, uh, so I guess we can kind of get into our uh, final thoughts uh, here about misery. Um, uh, Ariel, if you want to go ahead and give your final thoughts, and uh, we're going to give this out of a uh, rating out of five sledgehammers, halves are allowed. Okay. Um, I mean, my final thoughts, I think the performances are great, the story is great, the movie's well-paced. Like, I... It's kind of a masterpiece of a movie while at the same time being a little bit melodramatic, which I think is so 90s. And I think if this movie were made today, it would be a lot more serious and and heavy handed and that could be fine. But I think it's such a time capsule of when it was made that it's just a really fun watch because it's sort of like, look at how melodramatic we could be at the same time taking ourselves so seriously. so I give it four and a half sledgehammers out of five mm-hmm. because I think it's really, really excellent. But for some reason, it just doesn't tip over into that five for me. Okay. Um, no, I, I totally can see uh, where you're coming from there. And, uh, you know, I think that that tone that you're kind of talking about, um, you know, is because, you know, having Rob Reiner, who is, you know, again, he's done many genres and he's very versatile. But, you know, he does a lot of, you know, uh, rom-coms, you know, around this era. 
Um, so having him of all people doing this um, is uh, fascinating. And like you said, like, um, I think I kind of I remembered it being more serious. Uh, the, the dark mm-hmm. comedy was what kind of uh, took me by surprise a little bit more on this one, because for some reason, I thought this was a little bit more of a more bleak and dour film. Um, and I'm glad it has, you know, the levity to it. Um, because both performances, you know, get to shine in, uh, you know, get to have a, a range, you know, to them, you know, both James Caan and Kathy Bates. So, um, yeah, uh, fantastic performances. Uh, the editing uh, by Robert Layton, wanted to shout him out because uh, also fantastic. Everything is uh, very tight and snappy. Um, the the movie um, could just use a little more, uh, I don't know, flavor for me personally. Like I said, like I kind of like the a little bit more um, fantastical, dire kind of survival stories. But um, this is um, still fun to watch nonetheless because, I mean, uh, the the tightness is, um, you know, very impressive. And uh, what it's able to do with, um, you know, do a lot with a little. You know, we, we love that around here. Um, so for me, and just also because um doesn't quite have the rewatchability factor for me, um, I'm going to go three and a half out of five sledgehammers. Um, it's still fantastic. Uh, uh, admire the craft and performances, but um, just, uh, uh, you know, not, not quite not quite my tempo. Well, I say you're on the wrong tempo, son. You got to pick it up. Uh, this for me is a five out of five sledgehammer Ooh. movie. Uh, I really, really love this one. Yes, sir. This one, uh, it's it's got kind of everything I think that this movie has. I don't really have any things that I think that this movie could do better. Um, I think every step of the way you're with this character trying to do similar things that they would be doing. Um, I think it subverts it in a really frustrating but fair way um, to where everything that every twist and turn that it takes makes sense to me. Um, I think that the only thing that you could potentially, at least in my eyes, could kind of um, fault the movie for would maybe be the sheriff sub subplot is just not maybe as interesting as as it could be, um, which I, I could definitely understand that. But it to me, it's kind of inconsequential. It doesn't really matter because the sheriff doesn't really play, you know, uh, a role in in the overall kind of uh, uh, liberation of, of our hero here. So um, I think it's got also excellent performances. As you said, Devon, the um, editing is really terrific. I think the score also was something that really stood out to me um, on this watch as, as being really exemplary. I just, yeah, I find this film uh, has just aged very, very well, as we've already talked about in just kind of a modern pop culture context with just the way that today's uh, fans are in general. Um, I feel a lot of fans relate probably more to Annie Wilkes than they probably should. Um, I think, yeah, Misery is is effective. It's also surprisingly funny in a lot of ways. Yeah, this is one of my favorite 90s uh, horror films, and I, I rewatch it um, not, not terribly often, but this is definitely one that I, I recommend to a lot of people, especially um, for Stephen King adaptations. This one doesn't get as much love uh, Ariel, as you had said, um, as, as some of the other uh, works. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I think this deserves um, a little bit more recognition. So, yeah, for me, it's a five out of five sledgehammers. We love to see it. I think um, since season two of the show has started, I believe that's your first five out of five. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I'd have to go back. I've only had three myself since since um, since you've come along. Yeah, for me, a five out of five is not a perfect movie. Um, I've definitely got my own complicated scale. Um, perfect movies are are few and far between. There's only a few in my in my eyes, but a ten is there's or a, a five or a ten, whichever scale you want to use, is 
there's nothing significant enough to detract away from my enjoyment of this movie. I don't really have any complaints that would warrant a half of a star takeoff. So yeah, it's like, again, yeah, there's some sheriff stuff that I think maybe could have been a little bit more engaging, but it, it doesn't really impact my overall enjoyment of this one. So yeah, I'm giving it a, a confident five out of five. We love to hear it. So let's go ahead and uh, see what other movies uh, this, Ugh, that was terrible. Let's see what other movies we were thinking about while watching Misery. All right, here on the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, we like to end our episodes by playing a fun game. It's called Movie Math. Uh, the rules are simple. You just have to take a few movies. You can add them together, multiply them, divide, subtract, whatever your heart desires, um, all of which just has to equal the movie that we talked about today. So, Ariel, what are the movies that you chose for your Movie Math equation? Yes. Well, I chose The Woman. Are you familiar with The Woman? I don't believe so. I should have looked up the year. I think it's 2011. It's a Lucky McKee movie where mm. um, if you've if you've seen Darlin, it's like the movie that came before Darlin. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Lucky McKee is uh, the woman where a woman who lives in the woods, kind of off the grid, gets kidnapped by a family. Yes. So I said it's the woman plus Be My Cat, a film for Anne. Mm. Are you guys familiar <laughs> with this one? Oh, I am very familiar. Love that okay. movie. I have. I, I. I. I was wrong. I am familiar with the woman, but I'm definitely okay. not familiar with this one. So, "Be My Cat," a film for Anne, is <laughs> a found footage movie. Um, it's more on the extreme side, but it's not like extreme extreme. And it's uh, about a guy who loves Anne Hathaway so much. He's like, "I'm going to make her a movie, and then she'll love me." So it's got like this extreme fan obsession plot line. Um, so I said it's the woman plus be my cat divided by May. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Another Lucky McKee movie. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think like the aesthetic is not the same as mm -hmm. May, but the loneliness and the rationalizing things in your own head when you are in your own head by yourself and there's no one else to like sort of question you or push back on you. Like some of the instincts that May has remind me of some of the instincts that Annie Wilkes has of I'm going to justify this thing to myself because I know how to do that and I'm used to doing that. So the woman plus be my cat divided by May. I I see all of that because we have covered two of those films here on the podcast. Uh, this was previous to Garrett, um, but, but we uh, uh, with your with your uh, editor uh, Zobo, um, she came on and we did "Be My Cat" and "Megan Is Missing" for some extreme nice. found footage. Um, Zoe uh, has been on a couple episodes of the show. We love her, and uh, and I love "Be My Cat." Um, highly recommend to you, Garrett. And um and uh we have also covered May as well. We did that with a double feature of Jennifer's Body with uh, Chandler Bullock, and uh, so yeah, I can totally see all that. But I have not seen um the 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 woman. There's three of them now, right? Uh, of the Lucky McKeon. Yes. Yeah, that I are like all kind of loosely recommend. connected. Yes, you can just watch the woman. I By think itself. that and <laughs> be fine. Okay. Yeah, that's all you need. Mm, uh, Watch the others if you really want to, but the woman is the best one. Mm, I, I, I've been wanting to dive into them. They're on my list. I, I have it. the three of them on my list. So at, at okay. some point, I, I'm, I'm just going to do the, the whole shebang. Do uh, Gara, what about you? 
Yeah, I uh, I had forgotten that I had seen uh, The Woman, but out of those three, I have not seen the third one. I've seen The Woman. I've also seen Darling, and I concur uh, <laughs> uh, that The Woman is, uh, out of at least those two, is the one that's um, a little bit more worth watching. So, yeah, for me, I definitely went down a corner of uh, paranoia, thrillers, and also obsession as kind of being key themes in the movies that I'm talking about. Uh, the first one of which is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane for a few reasons. Um, you've also got nice a one. kind of semi-disabled character who is kind of uh, unable to escape the situation for whatever reason. They're being held captive by somebody. Um, and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, there's also these ideas of um, entitlement there um, for different reasons, but still this idea of this should have happened to me or this didn't go the way that I wanted it to, so I'm keeping you here as kind of uh, revenge in a way for that. Mm -hmm. um, really terrific, uh, really terrific thriller there. Um, I'm also including one hour photo um, because it's this idea of I think that there's an interesting conversation happening here and also just kind of in today's culture too and one hour photo definitely is this idea of being on the fringe of something and feeling like you are a part of it um, I think that there's this uh, misery is having this conversation too of Annie being a fan of this guy's books and his work. And so she feels like she knows him as a person. Um, mm -hmm. She even says, it's like, I was in love with you as a writer. Now I'm in love with you as a person. And I think that what we see in one hour photo, a terrific Robin Williams performance, uh, one of his few villain roles, if you're interested in seeing that um, he develops photos for a living um, and he kind of grows attached to this family because of what he kind of thinks that their life is like. Um, through what he just sees through the photography. So I've got those added together. Um, and then I'm multiplying that by shadow of a doubt, just for mostly for vibes. Um, both uh, it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. If you haven't, if you haven't seen it, it's one of my favorites of his uh, Hitchcock is my favorite director, but I think misery has a lot of Hitchcock vibes to it. Um, shadow of a doubt also has this really, you know, just taut tension throughout the movie of trying to figure out more, trying to wiggle, find that wiggle room when you can, can without getting caught um, and then trying to um, uncover really what is the truth about this person. Um, I don't want to spoil too much because it's such a terrific film. Um, it's definitely one of his not uh, underrated. I think the people that see it really like it, but I would say definitely underappreciated. Most people don't really hold it aloft with your psychos and your rear windows and stuff, but I, I think it's right up there for me. So definitely check out all of those. Yeah, I will um I will be watching Shadow of a Doubt uh within the week because I am watching a lot of Hitchcock movies for a reason I cannot disclose at the moment. Um oh, but wow. uh but just know that it is uh towards the top of my Hitchcock uh watch list, so I will be getting that out. And um I've seen like parts of one hour photo, but I don't know if I've ever watched it all the way through. So I've been mean to give that I'll, one a watch. I'll as let well. you borrow it. I, I have it on Blu-ray, I'll let you borrow it. Yay, yay. Um, and uh, I actually went pretty simple on this one. Um, I have uh, The Fan, um, and there's a couple fan, uh, The Fan movies, but I'm talking Tony Scott's uh, The Fan because uh, I love Tony Scott. Um, and uh, kind of the way that he uh, directs uh, people's conversations and their interactions with each other. Um, having uh, De Niro and uh, Snipes uh, having their uh, play with each other is uh, quite fun. Um, has uh, some similar vibes uh, as far as like obsession um, and you know uh, an, a sense of entitlement of, of being a fan and some ways number one fan and you know what um, you know the 
uh, you know, you know, Annie knows so much about, you know, uh, Paul Sheldon and, you know, this is all information he's like said in interviews or divulged, but like, again, this isn't, you know, Wikipedia, uh, days where she can, you know, just like kind of look it up real quick. She's, you know, accumulated that information over time and, you know, kind of knows a little too much about him. And, uh, you know, some, so some of that plays into the fan, um, as well as just some of the suspense vibes as well. Um, love me some Tony Scott. And uh, add that together with a uh, secret window, um, the um, uh, Johnny Depp and um, uh, John Turturro film. Um, you know they kind of have this uh, interesting cat and mouse game going on uh, between them. Uh, you know this writer kind of um, uh, grappling with uh, his identity uh, creatively, and uh, you know what that kind of does to his mental state. And uh, so uh, a lot more psychological horror stuff going on there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so if you kind of add those two together, um, you get some semblance of misery, but, uh, not even close. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. Neither of those two films are close <laughs> to the quality of misery. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that's what I got for mine. I would say all of ours are a pretty solid marathon. <laughs> I would like to watch all of these movies. <laughs> this was, this we just an... programmed a festival. Yes, we what did. What we just did. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, what's the name of this festival? Um, uh, I'm your number one fan. Has to uh, be right. There you go. I'm your number one fan festival. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, would uh, love to see it. Uh, Ariel, thank you so much for uh, bringing this on to close out our Stephen King adaptations month. I don't think there was a, a better pick to do it with. So thank you so much. Uh, uh, what oh, are gosh, you working yeah. on right now, and uh, where can the people find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Ari underscore Hellraiser, and you can find me on Letterboxd at the same name. Um, I'll post everything on Twitter. Letterboxd is where I get a little bit more silly. Um, In October, Hear Us Scream Volume 2 is coming out, and I will have an essay in that anthology, so keep an eye out for that. And I'm always writing for Ghouls Magazine, so definitely check out Ghouls if you haven't yet, because we're always out there doing awesome stuff. So if you follow me on Twitter, I post all my work there. You can find it. And thanks so much, guys, for having me. This is really fun. Yeah, you're always welcome. Yeah, um, of course, we love uh, we love the Ghouls gang around here. Shout out, Zoe. Uh, we'll have all the links to that in the description. Garrett, what are you working on right now? I am uh, pretty much working on the same stuff. I always am working on lots of TikTok stuff, as I mentioned before, doing a series right now on my uh, on my profile there, just recommending some great Halloween movies that you can watch on various streaming services, just real quick, like 10-second videos. So um, if you're interested in that, also going to be seeing um, a few new release horror movies. I'm seeing a few films at Beyond Fest. So if you want to see some um, reviews for those, be sure to follow me over there. Um, I mentioned before, a uh, big Star Wars guy. I've got my own Star Wars podcast. Cast, uh, called scum and villainy um and or just dropped this morning so if you guys are interested in hearing some in-depth thoughts about the first three episodes of that series uh we're going to be recording within the hour so <laughs> uh and that should be up uh, later tonight but yeah going to be reviewing the entire series there so if that sounds interesting to you we would uh, love to have you yes yes y'all and uh you guys can find me as always at underscore daddy disco on twitter and instagram i uh, got some podcast appearances coming up that i'm excited about but i will let you know when those episodes drop um but you guys uh definitely have to be following us on social media as uh, we got some big announcements coming up because um uh, it is the end of a month that means we have a new thing coming next month but next episode uh is a biggie it is episode 100 of the blade one cinema club um and it's going to uh be 
uh, a pretty epic episode, uh, if I do say so myself. We're going to be kicking off October with the Reanimator franchise. Very excited. Uh, Garrett, I know this is uh, one of your favorites, correct? Yes, uh, the first Reanimator fi- uh, film in particular is is uh, an all-time favorite horror movie for me. It's it's one of those movies that I include. If it's like, if you guys want to have like a good idea of like what exactly my shit is, uh, Reanimator <laughs> is is pretty high up there. So I am very excited to be gushing about that next week, as well as the other films in the franchise, some of which I actually haven't seen. So I'm excited to uh, revisit those and uh, visit some new ones too. Yeah, we're going to be uh, going through the Reanimator trilogy, and then, of course, at the end of October, uh, we're going to talk Halloween ends. Uh, we're going to kind of talk Halloween, uh, pretty much the, the uh, David Gordon Green trilogy. It'll, we'll kind of do a little bit on the previous ones, and then uh, mainly talk Halloween ends at the end of October. Um, okay. But yeah, so episode 100, guys, is going to be uh, the end of season two of this podcast and what does that mean what is uh what's season three got in store um you know season two we added garrett and you know kind of uh changed the show into what it is today and then uh season three uh we have a another step in the evolution so you guys will just have to listen and uh find out what we're talking about there but and that'll go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the bloody blunt cinema club New episodes drop every Tuesday. Make sure you subscribe so you do not miss an episode. You can follow us on social media at Bloody Blunts Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>